good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? It's good, it's good, it's good to see you guys today. And um, we're entering into my favorite season of the year. I love Thanksgiving, I love Christmas, and I love all things related to all of them. I love turkey and turkey and turkey. And I know some of you love pumpkin pie and some of you love sweet potato pie. I love pecan pie. It's that season. So we're going to all grow together, right? Amen. Well, how many of you enjoyed Pastor Chris last week? Didn't he do a fantastic job? I do want you to know that um, I prayed through the building and cast out all evil spirits. He brought one in and that does it. We had to cast that thing out when he made this crazy statement. He said something like, roll tight. I was like, no, roll right on out the door. <laughs> he forgot where he was. So anyway, he's a great friend, a uh, longtime friend. Uh, he and Lisa and their family too. Sherry and I, and uh, they're just really, really great people, and so I'm glad you got to have a little bit of experience with him. He's a good man. So I went back and listened to his message, and his message was phenomenal. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go and listen to it. Uh, it was uh, the State of the Union, talking about the family. And so anyway, all right, well, let's, how many of you brought your Bibles today? Come on, hold them up, hold them up. That's what I'm talking about. All right, so let's open it up now. Open it up to Romans chapter 12, and when you get there, you're going to have this little string. Go ahead and put that string there and open it up to Proverbs chapter 18. We'll read from there first in just a moment, um, and then we'll flip over to Romans chapter 12. Let me pray for us as we dive in this morning. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet, we thank you, God, that your word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing the soul and the spirit. And Lord, we ask you today that your word would go deep in our hearts, that it would find, take root in us, and that it would grow to full maturity in our lives and in our hearts. Lord, I pray that the fruit of the word would be evident in every part of our life, that the fruit of the spirit would be every, evident in every part of our life, that your presence would be known by people that are around us because they can sense it and feel it. Father, today, I ask that you would anoint this time that we have together and that you would make your word uh, go forth and have its work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to have a couple of things that are going to be happening uh, over the next few weeks. And the first thing is tonight. Actually, tonight, we are going to have a thing called a social Sunday. Now, here's what Social Sunday is. We didn't make a big announcement about it because we just wanted it to be uh, something that's just for today. And uh, so if you're here today and you want to bring your friends tonight at between 4 and 6 p.m., we're going to be gathering here. We're going to gather socially distanced properly. We're going to have our, you know, we're going we're to be safe. But we're going to come together. Uh, and I think it's just a good time for us. If you are new to the church and would like to meet somebody, uh, come tonight between 4 and 6. We'll have a food truck out front. We'll have some games. We'll have some activities that can be taking place. But it is really, truly just the time to come together and kind of connect with people. Uh, we know in this season right now that loneliness has, has skyrocketed all across the world and across our nation. And we know that. And uh, so... And that has an epidemic in and of itself. That is a pandemic in and of itself. That has long-lasting effects. And we're seeing those effects on people 
And uh, we're going to get to that in just a moment. But also, something we do here at Victory every year is we have a special thing here we call a Christmas gift to the world. And our Christmas gift to the world uh, goes to two different places. One, it goes to some place here locally in the Atlanta area, some ministry that we're partnered with or that we work with, uh, and we are working with them to help them accomplish some great project that they're trying to do to make them more effective here in our area. And then also, we do one around the world. And this year, we're going to be partnering with Crisis Aid in Ethiopia, uh, and then we're going to be uh, partnering with Obria uh, crisis Pregnancy Center here in the Gwinnett County area. We'll give you a lot more information about that next week, uh, so come prepared. But on uh, December the 6th is when we're actually taking up the offering. Uh, so come, come prepared to give. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Now we can automatically, when we hear that, we go, well, I know what I give every year. I'm asking you to ask the Lord. Ask the Lord what would he have you give. And every year when we do this, we literally raise... Uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars and we are able to see the impact of those dollars because every single penny of it goes to one of these two ministries. And so uh, your reach and your generosity literally is helping with orphanism, helping heal the sick, helping provide food for those who are, are without food, all kinds of different things that we're doing all over the world. And so we're going to tell you more about the projects that we're going to be supporting this year uh, next week. So come next week and you can see that. Uh, but really begin praying about what the Lord would have you give. All right. We are in the midst of a pandemic. Did y'all know that? We have to feel like as preachers we have to tell you that every week. But we are. And uh, we're seeing the effects of that. We're seeing loneliness literally skyrocket uh, and the effects of that that are starting to happen. We're seeing people battle with anxiety like never before. Depression. Uh, that people are turning to all sorts of things to try to soothe their soul. Pornography. Alcohol. All kinds of different things that they're, they're turning to to try to soothe their soul. And we are seeing this epidemic of loneliness like never before. And I believe that uh, the Lord wants that we have an answer to that. That we as the body have an answer to that. We don't have an answer to deal with the pandemic necessarily. Although some of our people here literally do help in some of the studies for that. But we don't have the, that answer. But what we're seeing is the uh, emotional and psychological effects on people. And those effects are going to far exceed the physical effects of this pandemic. They're going to far exceed. In some cases it's going to take... Uh, years and decades to overcome what happens into the heart of people during a time like this. And so I want us to open our hearts today because the Lord wants to use us to be a solution in the midst of this. We have the ability to be a solution. Today we're going to end the series, as Sherry said, it's called State of the Union, Socially Distanced. Socially distant. We can be socially distant, but yet emotionally close. And unfortunately, we are both right now. We're socially distant and we're emotionally distant. And so how can we deal with this? And there's this thing, beautiful thing that God has given us called friendship. And one of the things that the Bible tells us about loneliness is this. Here's God's solution to loneliness. In Psalm 68, 6 says, To the lonely, He makes them a part of a family. To the lonely, He sets them in a family. What are we called as the body of Christ? We're called the family of God. 
And God takes this opportunity to take family, as Pastor Chris said last week, the family is under attack on every level in our nation. And so goes the family, so goes the nation. But the fall of every great nation began with the fall of the family. And I believe it's the nuclear family as well as the family of God. The people coming together uh, when, when we come together. That's why we're told in Hebrews chapter 13 to not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. For us to not forsake coming together. It's important for us that we are together. It's important for us. I did a, a little bit of study and looked at what are the basic needs of humanity? And there's all kinds of different studies out there that have several different things. But in all of the studies, there are some commonalities. And one of the commonalities that's in all of the studies, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every person, every human has a need for belonging. They have a need for acceptance. They have a need for love. They have a need for that. It's not just something that's a nice to have. It's something we need. It's something we have need of and right now as we are isolated around the world in our homes trying to keep ourselves safe it's creating a different type of pandemic it's creating an emotional uh, pandemic that's going to last for decades I believe if we don't do something about it and so God puts us in families and I remember years ago when I was in about the eighth grade my dad started having kidney stones and he had these kidney stones, and I've never had a kidney stone, but watching him, I never want to have a kidney stone. My dad's so tough, literally. He's from a different era. He's from a different generation of people. He's from, some of you are in here today. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all have a level of pain tolerance that my generation doesn't have. We are quick to go to pain medication. My dad had a full knee replacement. Chop, chop, put a knee in. Zero pain medication afterwards. That's what kind of toughness my dad has. But when he had a kidney stone, this little bitty stone, he was on his knees in pain. And if you've had them, you know exactly what that feels like. I don't know what that feels like. But I remember watching my dad literally writhe in pain. So when he goes to the doctor and he gets it taken care of, the doctor says, hey, do you want to never have another kidney stone? And my dad said, I never want to have another kidney stone. He said, then I'll tell you what to do. You drink one beer a day and you'll never have a kidney stone again. He was serious. He said the beer flushes your kidneys out. Uh, one beer a day. And, I was, and my dad goes, oh, okay. Well, he didn't do it. A little while later, he's back in the hospital with another kidney stone. And the doctor says, hey, did you do what I told you to do? He said, what? He said, do you have a beer a day? He said, no. He goes, well, then you're going to continue to come see me because you're going to continue to have kidney stones. If you will drink one beer a day, you won't have kidney stones. It'll keep your kidneys flushed. So my dad came back, and there were multiple reasons he didn't drink beer. One was he didn't like it. Two was his father was an alcoholic, and he was the caregiver of his father, my grandfather. His brother was an alcoholic. His brother's son was an alcoholic. His sister was an alcoholic. So my dad was saying, I'm going to stay far away from it. I'm staying away from it. I don't, want to, I don't want the effects that I grew up with to go into my family. And so he tried his very best to stay away from it, but he really did not want any more kidney stones. So he started drinking one beer a day. He would choke that thing down. I would watch him and I would laugh at him because he, he literally had to choke it down. And um, he, he went from one to two to four to six to twelve. Not in 
a short period of time, but over a longer period of time. And it started bothering me so badly. And I'm just a teenage boy. I'm watching my dad and I'm going, this is not going the right direction. And I'm, I'm concerned for him and I'm concerned about him. And I know what his heart is, but I know what he's doing. And I'm watching this and I had this sense inside of me. As a teenage boy, this is the devil's plan to, to bring my dad into, into uh, alcoholism. And I could see it as plain as day. I didn't have any understanding of generational curses. I didn't have any understanding of generational iniquities. I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. I had not been taught about that yet. But something inside of me, the Spirit of God inside of me knew. And so I thought, I don't know what to do. And I would pray about it. And I would ask God to, to speak to my dad and just convict him about it. And I didn't want him to have kidney stones, but I, I didn't want him to be an alcoholic either. And so I remember praying and praying and praying and nothing was happening. His usage was increasing. And I thought one day I'm going to have to talk to my dad. And how do you do this as a teenage boy? Talk to your father about something that is somewhat corrective in, in nature. I didn't know how to do that because, you know, when we grew up, you didn't talk and correct your parents. Kids don't know that today. But, but then we didn't correct our parents. We knew who the parent was and it wasn't us. But I remember thinking about this and praying about it and going, God. And so I just, one day we were driving down the road. We were going to Florida and it was just me and him in the car. And I just felt the spirit of God say, now's the time. I'm in the 10th grade. I'm a teenage boy. And I don't know about you, but I was scared to death. I would have been scared. I was scared to death. I don't know if you would have been scared or not. But I was scared to open this conversation with my dad. But I did it. I said, Dad. I need to talk to you about something. And he said, what do you want to talk about? I said, um, I want to talk about you drinking beer. And it got really quiet. And I thought, oh no, can I stop now, Lord, please? And I said, Dad, I understand you have kidney stones and the doctor told you if you drink one a day, it will keep you from getting kidney stones. And I don't understand the pain of that, so I don't even know totally what I'm asking of you, but here's what I... Here's what I really sense in my heart. I, I feel like you've placed your hope in beer instead of in God. Because you don't want to get another kidney stone. And I don't want you to have another one. It's super quiet. And I said, so I don't even know what I'm really fully asking of you. But here's what I am trying to say to you. I can see it as the devil's plan to lead you into alcoholism. He was quiet. And I said, would you pray about this? And if the Lord speaks to you, would you stop drinking beer? And would you trust the Lord to never have another kidney stone? And he said, after a couple of minutes just sitting there, he goes, I'll pray about it. And that's all, that was the end of our conversation. Still to this day, we haven't talked about it. He stopped. He's 84 years old. It's been a minute since I was in the 10th grade. It's actually been about five minutes since I was in the 10th grade. <clears throat> and my dad has never had another kidney stone. Why are you telling me this story? Because I think a pandemic is the enemy's way of isolating us. 
Now, what I'm not saying is that we don't need to be aware of the pandemic, that we don't need to take precautions and take care of ourselves and our families. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we need to throw caution to the wind by any stretch of any imagination. But what I am saying is this. There are people who are completely isolated and we're hiding behind this thing out of fear. And what I'm saying is this. Proverbs 18.1 says that a man who is isolated wars against all sound counsel and wisdom. And if the enemy can isolate us, he can destroy us. It's his number one strategy is to get us isolated. So what do we do in the midst of this? God didn't design us to be isolated. He didn't design us to live independent of one another. We are hardwired to need each other. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every gender, every age group of people need other people in their life. We need each other. I need you. You need me. God takes the lonely and he sets them down in families. It's his plan. It's his strategy. If I can keep you connected, if I can give you a sense of belonging, if I can keep you connected to the right people, you are going to help each other walk through difficulty. You're going to help each other by celebrating with each other. You're going to help each other by mourning with each other. You're going to help each other by walking together. And I believe, just like the enemy wanted to draw my dad into alcoholism, that the enemy wants to draw us into isolation. Here's what I'm saying. Please hear me. I'm not saying throw caution to the wind. I'm not saying be foolish with the way we care for ourselves or not. I'm saying be alert. Be aware. But be engaged. Be alert. Be aware, but be engaged relationally. There's a way for us to be socially distant and emotionally connected. The problem is right now we're socially distanced and we're emotionally distanced. And we're not made for that. In fact, the way the Lord made us, he says it in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord said, it is not good with man should be alone. This is after his creation. He's created and he created and created. And every time he would create something, he would say, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. He creates man in his likeness and in his image. And the first thing he said is, it is not good. Because we are made in the likeness and the image of God, we are made hardwired for community. Because God himself is a community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They commune with one another. They interact with one another. They relate to one another. And they all relate to us. And he created us in that image. In his likeness, he created us. And he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Of course, we sit back and we say, yeah, that's about marriage. It is about marriage. And it's about humanity. It is not good for us to be alone. You see, in every, every human heart, there is a God-shaped void that no thing can fill but God. 
We see people trying all over the place, trying to fill this void through success, through money, through possessions, through all kinds of different avenues, trying to fill this hole in their heart. And it's this void that only God himself can fill. And once we reach the end of our rope, we turn to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I need you to come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. And he comes and he fills the void. But there is also a human-shaped void in our heart that God himself will not fill. He made provision for it. It's called humanity. It's called families. It's called friendship. It's called these things that we get to see. We see this need in our lives for friendship. How many of you know you need friends? You don't just need friends to hang out with. You need friends to walk with. To live with, to mourn with, to rejoice with, to celebrate life and to walk through life with, to be in our good times and in our bad times. We need friends and we need to be a friend. So I'm going to talk to you about today, about what does it look like for us to be a friend? What does it look like for us to be a friend? The Bible tells us that we are friends of God and that we are to be friends with one another. There's all kinds of scriptures uh, that lead us in this direction. There's 59 one another's in the Bible. Those are, those are friendships. Those are relationships. Those are connectivity points in our life that we are to one another with other people. So the first thing to, to being a friend is we have to be friendly. Look to your neighbor and go, you got to be friendly sometimes. Look to your other side and go, you too. You need to be friendly too. <clears throat> I know that sounds funny, but this is actually what the Bible tells us. In in, uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, it says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. He must be friendly. So what does it mean to be friendly? The first thing it means to be friendly is to be devoted to one another. Devoted to one another. If you will, take your Bible and open it up. Take it out to Romans chapter 12. We're going to read from Romans chapter 12. So open your Bible, and when you get there, say amen. All right, we ready? Romans chapter 12, we will start with verse 9. We'll read 9 and 10. It says, let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another. And never play the role of an, of an actor wearing a mask. You're going, I knew the Bible told me I didn't have to wear a mask. <laughs> we'll get back to that in a minute. Despise evil, embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted To tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourself in respect and honor of one another. Be devoted. Be devoted. What does it mean to be devoted? It means to be loyal to one another. It means to be faithful to one another. It means that I'm here for you. Some of our very closest friends, they don't have to say a whole lot to us. They are just... There. I had a friend, and Sherry and I, we, we had this friend of ours, his name was Mark, and we would hang out all the time, and half the time we didn't talk. He was an introvert, and I'm an introvert. But we just loved just sitting there together. We would nod at each other at a television show, like, that was funny. That was good. I'll see you later, man. Come back tomorrow. But that's that's... What friends do, they're just devoted to each other. They're loyal, they're faithful. They're the friends that you call in the middle of the night. They're the friends 
that are there in your dark days. How many of you know that when you have your dark days, that's when you find out who your friends are? The challenge is we make judgments on the ones that we find out that are our friends and the ones who aren't. And so what we do is we say, yeah, in my darkest day, these people abandoned me, so therefore I'm not going to open my heart and be friendly to other people. No, that's the work of the enemy. Open your heart. Forgive your friends that, de that weren't devoted to you. But thank God for the ones that were. Keep your heart open. The enemy is doing everything he can do to assault our heart and to get us to close our heart. Close our heart to God and to close our heart to each other. Everything he can. I remember in my very darkest day. I remember my darkest day. It's the darkest, darkest, darkest moment of my life. I remember it clearly and I reached out to a friend of mine. I sent him a text and this is all I said to him. I didn't have to say a whole lot. You don't have to say a whole lot to your devoted friends. I just sent a text to him and I said, I need to talk to you. I'm in trouble. It was not 60 seconds and my phone rang. My friend. What's going on? First thing he said to me, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know this is a dark moment for you. The second thing he said is, but I'll be with you every step of the way. And you know what? He was with me every step of the way. Every single step of the way. He walked right here. He brought the word of God to me. He would feed it to me sometimes. Like I was so weak in the spirit, he would be like, here, just here, here, eat this word. Let it go inside of you. It's the word of God. It'll have life here. He would text me. He would call me. He would take me to coffee. He would just do what friends do. Sometimes he would just be there. That's what devoted friends do. The second thing that friends uh, that is a good quality of friendship is friends are safe. They're a safe place. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. My friend John was there in my darkest day, but he was a safe place for me. He was a safe place for me. It was a place where I could just be truly honest and open in all of my brokenness, in all of my wrecked condition of my own heart. I could be there and he didn't see this broken man. He remembered what the, the purpose of God was for this man. And he created a safe place for me. There's two things that work against safety in a relationship. Two things that are really, really important that work against safety in a relationship. One is sarcasm and the other is gossip. Sarcasm and gossip work against this. We see this in Proverbs 18, 6 through 8. You can turn there in your Bible. Open your Bible to Proverbs 18 and when you get there say, Amen. Amen. There's a few of there. Y'all ready? When you get there say, Amen. Say it loud. Man, all right, let's go. Proverbs 18, starting with verse 6. It says, A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. That's sarcasm. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are, a snare to, of a, of a, are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer 
are like tasty trifles. And they go deep into the innermost body. They go deep into the heart. They go deep into the heart. Sarcasm is this. It means this in the Greek. It's a, it's a word. It's, it's sarkeesian. And this is what it means. It means to tear flesh. Some people are very proud of their sarcasm. We're a sarcastic group of people. You just got to get used to it. No. No. Sarcasm is the tearing of flesh. What gets torn? The heart. What's the enemy trying to do to get us to close our heart? To people and to God. That's his greatest plan. I want, to close, I want you to close your heart to people and to man. I'm not talking about a fun, joking type spirit. I'm talking about sarcasm. Sarcasm is where we use irony and mockery to convey contempt to someone. For me, when I get sarcastic, and I can be sarcastic, and that's a part of my life I don't like because it's a part of my life that doesn't reflect God. And here's what I've learned about it. That when I'm getting sarcastic, and Sherry says, I'm sarcastic to Sherry one day, and she goes, hey, you're getting kind of sarcastic. My first thing is I want to defend myself because I would never do that. (laughs) I want to defend myself Instead of examine why am I sarcastic. Here's what I found every time that I get sarcastic. I'm hurt. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I feel like there's some type of injustice in the, in the play. Every single time. And if I can address those things instead of use sarcasm, I actually will heal I will heal. There takes no courage to be sarcastic. It takes incredible courage to be honest. And what I'm finding is, in my, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing when I get sarcastic, man, I'm, there's something really bothering me inside. And it's something I probably need to talk about instead of jab about. So, friendships are a place that are safe. There's two things you don't see. You don't see sarcasm and open hearts. They don't go together. Because sarcasm creates walls in the heart, not doorways. There are other things, and we're going to get to the other things in a moment, that that create doorways into, into people's hearts. But sarcasm is not one of them. The other thing is, when we hear about gossip and people gossip, there's this thing about gossip that we all like. Y'all looking at me like, You've been listening to my conversations? I haven't been listening to your conversation, but you're human. And there's something about gossip that we all like. So think about it like this. Somebody comes to you and says, hey. They lean in. Hey, I want to tell you something. But you can't tell anybody. You can't tell anybody. Oh, no, I won't tell anybody. Tell me. You can trust me. I'm going to enable your gossip. Go ahead. You can trust me. Here's what the Bible says about it. Rumors. In this translation it says rumors. In others it says gossip. Are dainty morsels. That sink deep into one's heart. They're dainty morsels. They're like these little pieces of strawberry cake with cream cheese icing on it. And you go, ooh, let me taste that. 
And we think it does no harm to us. But the Bible says it goes into our heart. Because here's the thing about it. We all would love to think that we are unbiased listeners. We would all love to say, I'm just, I, I, I don't have an opinion about that. Are you kidding me? I read some of your Facebook posts. Y'all have opinions. I'm unbiased. It, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't shake me. I want to be a safe place for you. Tell me again. Tell me again. It's gossip. Destroys. Goes into our heart. We have to deal with what we hear. We have to deal with it. We have to deal with what we say. We have to deal with what we hear. We have to deal with it. It's not something that just goes in our ears and doesn't affect us in any other way. It affects us. We've got to deal with it. And listen, here's the thing about gossip. Gossip takes two people. It takes a talker and it takes a listener. And they're both guilty of it. Think about it. If the, if the gossiper doesn't have someone to talk to, they stop gossiping. But if they do have someone to talk to, it enables their gossip. So I just want to say that true friends create safe places for their friends. They, speak, they take safe places. They're not going to gossip. They're not going to talk about it. They're not even going to tell people that they know certain things because it doesn't matter that they know to these other people. What it matters is to their friend. So I want to encourage us. Let's be friendly and let's be safe people. Let's be as people that is safe for other people to come and be honest and open and real. Where we're not going to come back with some sarcastic remark about something that's true about their life. We're not going to do it. That's our choice. We can be socially distanced and emotionally connected. But when we carry ourselves this way, we disconnect. Closes our heart down. Proverbs 12, 25 says this. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back to this. Friends are devoted. They hold safe places for one another. And friends speak life. Friends speak life. Words of life. Proverbs 18. Look back at your Bible there. In Proverbs 18, verse 21. It says, Your words are so powerful. They will kill or they will give life. This isn't about the word of faith movement where we, we say it and therefore it happens. We, our words can bring life or they can bring death. This is the, the context of this passage. And context matters when it comes to the Bible. The context of this scripture is this. How do you relate to one another? It says you have the power. Your tongue is one of the most powerful forces on the face of the earth. Our tongue can speak life or it can speak death. And good friends speak life. We speak life to one another. Proverbs 12, 25. It says, anxious fear brings depression. Aren't we seeing that all over, our, all over the world today? Anxious fear brings depression. But a life-giving word of encouragement can do wonders to restore joy to the heart. A life-giving word. We speak life to one another. 
My friend in my darkest day, he stuck right here and he spoke life to me over and over and over again. He brought the word of life and spoke the word of life to me over and over and over again. And his words of life brought healing to my heart. You know what it did for me? It opened my heart. It didn't close my heart. Friends, friends, good friends open the heart of their friends. They don't, they don't need to close it down. They don't need to guard it. They don't need to protect it. They open it. Why? Because they're devoted to them. They're a safe place and their words are going to bring life. They're going to speak life to their friends. Friends are devoted. They're safe. They speak life. The second thing that friends do is they fight for unity in our lives. They fight for unity. We see this in Romans chapter 12. If you will open your Bibles back up to Romans chapter 12. And when you get there, say, Amen. Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 16, it says, Live happily together in a spirit of harmony. And, in a, and be as mindful of another's worth as you are your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you are too important to serve others. Be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble-minded. Humble Don't be smug or even think for a moment that you know it all. Never hold a grudge and try to get even. But plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. Do your best to live as everybody's friend. Do your best. Fight for unity. True friends have truly canceled the cancel culture. True friends will not let you cancel them, nor will they let you or be canceled by you. They're not going to let us cancel. They're going to do away with the cancel culture. I remember my brother just recently, I watched him walk through a situation with a friend. And this friend was canceling him. This is a friend that's my age. He's old, like me. Emotionally undeveloped, but old like me. Good man. But when something hurts him, what he does is he just cancels you. He just stops talking to you. He stops making room for you. He just stops. And it's a good friend of my brother's. And I watched him. And I was like, I wonder how he's going to handle this. I'm talking about Dennis. How is he going to handle this? And what I watched him do was he reached out by phone, he reached out by text, he was getting canceled, canceled, canceled. This was not normal, so you know what he did? He did what any really good friend would do, he showed up to his house. And he said, listen, I know this is hard and we need to talk it through. But you are too important to me. I'm fighting for unity with you. I'm fighting for unity with you. I'm going to fight for this relationship. Why? Because you're too important to me. I'm not going to let you cancel me. So good friends cancel the cancel culture. They walk in unity with one another. The key to unity is to remember the relationship is always more important than the issue. Always. And I know it sometimes it, it feels like it's not, but it is. Just think about what would happen in your marriage. Think about what would happen in your relationship with your children. Think about what would happen in your friendships. Think about what would happen if you took the mindset that says, the person in front of me is far more important than the issue at hand. Man, we would live much humbler towards one another. 
We would be humble-minded towards one another. We would be open-hearted towards one another. We would say, hey, look, the issue's the issue. We can deal with the issue. But man, you are so important to me. I need you. You're my friend. You're my friend. They'll fight for unity. And then the third thing good friends do is they are generous. A friend is generous. A friend is generous in two ways. They're, they're generous with their encouragement and their affirmation. And they're generous with their challenge to you. They're generous with their encouragement and their affirmation and their challenge to you. The words of encouragement we read a minute ago, they bring life to our heart. But how many of you think good things about your friends that you never tell them? Come on, raise your hands. Raise them high. So the rest of you who don't raise your hands, you think good things about your friends and you tell them every time. Come on, guys. That's called lying, you know. Hey, listen, good friends bring words of encouragement to each other. They do. And you go, oh, I don't need people to tell me this and that. I don't need people to give me words of encouragement because I'm just strong. You're dumb. You need encouragement. I need encouragement. We all need encouragement. And we need to hear it from the people who are closest to us. We need to hear those words of encouragement. They're life-giving. They're strengthening. They put courage in our hearts. It's what it means to encourage, means to put courage into. We encourage one another with words of life. And we affirm the gifts and the call of God on each other's life. And then we're willing to challenge each other. We're willing to challenge each other to live into the fullness of the purpose of God in their life. We're willing to do it. I'll give you three things that Map out a generous friendship. And the first one is accountability. What do you mean? That doesn't sound generous to me. It is. Accountability. Now, we've reduced accountability to the policing of right and wrong behavior, which is not what it is. Where we tell people, hey, you know, I have a struggle in my life. I need somebody to hold me accountable. Accountable to what? To not do it. You already know to not do it. Yeah, but I just, I just feel, you know, I just need somebody to hold me accountable. No, you need God to heal your heart. You need God to set you free. And when you do fall, because we all do, we go confess our sin to our friends so that we can be healed. See, if I have this challenge in my life, let's just say I'm doing something I know I'm not supposed to do, and I do it, and then I go to my friend who is my accountability partner and go, Hey, you know that thing I'm not supposed to do? Yeah, well, I did it. Really? Oh, man, I hate that. Don't do that again. That's called confession, not accountability. That's confession, and it's important for us. James 5, 16 says to confess our sin to one another that we may be healed. Accountability gets into something different from my perspective. Accountability says, I'm going to hold you to the purpose of God in your life. And that thing over there, that behavior, that does not align with the purpose in your life. So let's get rid of it. I'm going to hold you accountable to live out and to fulfill God's purpose for your life. And I'm going to challenge you on that thing that's keeping you from doing that. I'm going to challenge you on it. Proverbs 20 verse 5. says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. 
but a man of understanding will draw it out. There's a difference in accountability and confession. They are not the same thing. The reason why oftentimes accountability relationships don't work is this. We're looking for an external thing to do an internal work. We're looking for someone to keep us from doing what we need God to heal us from and deliver us from. And if we would just go to God and allow Him to heal us, maybe our friend goes with us and says, I will go with you because I'm a devoted friend and I will go get down on my knees with you and we will fight together. I will fight with you, I will fight for you, and we will overcome this by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Some of the best friends I've ever had are people who have fought with me. They fight with me. And they fight with me. They fight with me. They will stand and say, we're going to take authority over this spirit that's trying to ruin your life. We're going to take authority over this. Boom, let's go after it. That's what good friends do. That's why the enemy wants to keep us isolated. Because he knows, man, if we are locked in with good friendships that will fight with us and fight for us, he has no place in our lives. He can't devour us. The second thing is this. In our, in our accountability, here's, here's how do we get to the heart of a person. It's through encouragement and praise. I want to read this to you. You're going, how, how does that work? It works like this. Psalm, or Proverbs 27.2 says, Let someone else honor you for your accomplishments, for self-praise never, is never appropriate. You're going, okay, so we're not to boast about ourselves. Proverbs 27, 21, here's where it is. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold. And a, man's, a man is tested by his praise. Think about it. A crucible and a furnace. What do they do? The crucible melts silver for purification purposes and a furnace melts gold for purification purposes. It takes this metal, reduces it down to liquid, and when it becomes liquefied, the impurities rise to the top. And they're easily removed. Here's what praise does to the heart of a man. Softens his heart. I know I'm going to come to you and you're going to tell me good things about me. Not flattery. Not talking about flattery. I'm talking about truthful things. I'm going to come to my friends and they're going to speak life to me. They're going to speak praise to me. They're going to speak affirmation to me. They're going to speak encouragement to me. And when they do, my heart opens. My heart softens. And when it softens, the impurities can rise to the top. I'm not afraid because my friends are safe and they are devoted to me. I'm not afraid for the impurities to rise to the top because I know what they're going to say is, hey, you know what? I'm holding you accountable to the God's purposes on your life. And when these impurities rise to the top, let's just remove them so that your heart can be pure. Accountability. Second thing that you find with generous friends is they create a place of belonging. This is a close or intimate relationship. They're close, they're intimate. Belonging is where we know the authentic person in front of us and we allow our authentic selves to be known. The good, the bad, and the downright ugly, and we have all of that. I have it, you have it. 
the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. But we bring our full authentic self, all of that, our weaknesses and our strengths to the table. And we find this place of intimate and close relationship. But our friends come back to. They say, you belong. I'm going to hold you accountable. And you belong. Now let's go after the things of God together. Brene Brown, who is a researcher. Dr. Brene Brown. Has some form of Godwardness, but I wouldn't call her godly. But she has some incredible research that proves this out. She does research on belonging and shame and vulnerability and all the things that are required uh, for us to have open, authentic relationships with people. And here's the thing that she says. True belonging, this has been proven through science. True belonging is a spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. The good, the bad, the ugly. You don't have to worry, you belong here. That won't change. Why? Because I'm a devoted friend. I'm a friend. I'm devoted, I'm safe. I'm a place that's going to hold you accountable. I'm a place that's going to speak life to you. I'm a place that's going to allow you to be the fullness of who you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we're going to fight together to fulfill the God's purposes in our life. And when those things are in place, accountability and belonging, all these elements of friendship, care, it's natural. It's easy. Well, I don't want to be a burden to somebody. You don't, you're not a burden to people you're accountable and belong to. You're not. Care is natural. I want to care for you. I'm here. I'm going to walk right here beside you. We're going to cry together. We're going to laugh together. We're going to fight each other and we're going to fight the devil. I wonder what would happen if that kind of friendship permeated the heart of men and women today. I think anxiety would go down. I think fear would go down. I think depression would go down. I think a substance abuse would go down. I think suicide would go down. I think alcoholism would go down. Sex addictions would go down. All because of a simple thing called friendship being a friend a true friend I don't know about you but I need that and it is not easy to find but when you find it it's amazing but you know how you find it by being a friend be that Will everybody honor it? No. But just like my dad was being drawn into alcoholism by the enemy out of fear of having kidney stones or a commitment to not have kidney stones, 
Sometimes we're being drawn into isolation because we have committed to ourselves, I will never be hurt by someone again. I will never be betrayed again. And that may be true, but we won't know the love of friendship again. That's not God's plan. And it's especially not his plan in a season like we're in right now. Because man, I don't know. But I need people around me. So do you. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask our ministry team, altar team, if they'll come down and Some of you need to be fought with and fought for. That's what these men and women do. Our band's going to come out. Our team's going to come back out. And these people right here, they will fight for you. That's what we do up here on this altar right here is we fight for you. We stand with you. We speak life to you. If you need any of that, I want you to come and allow them to pray with you today. That's why they're here. That's why they love it. These people right here love you. And they want to be that for you. So, uplifted hands all across this room. I want you to ask this question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this message? What are you saying? We worship, we hear the word, and we respond to the word, and we pray. It's time to respond and pray. So as the team leads us in this song, I want you to step out of your seat. If you want prayer today, around anything, it doesn't have to be around this message, it can be around anything, but it, it may be around this message. I want you just to step out of your seat and come down and allow one of us to pray. But for the rest of us, I just want us to keep our hands lifted, our hearts open, and let's just worship the Lord for a second.